0: Welcome back to another installment of the Podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras.
1: Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favour from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. Proverbs 8, 32-36 Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris. I am joined in the Knox Cellar as usual by Dr. Joe Boot and Nathan O'Black. And guys, what a uh, what a couple of weeks we've been having!
2: Mm-hmm. A good couple of weeks, a gr- very
1: busy, wonderful couple of weeks. Yeah, a wild weekend, and, uh, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was excellent. We had uh, mm-hmm. we had Graham Leach here with us mm-hmm. from uh, all the way from the UK, mm-hmm. speaking at the uh, the Mission of God conference. Mm-hmm. Joe, you were speaking, and uh, Andre Schutten as well, our fellow for uh, for law public policy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, great to have two of our uh, our fellows. Uh, uh Graham is our fellow for economics, mm-hmm. and um, th- I think it was his first visit actually to, yes. uh, to to one of our events in Canada. He's been yeah, to it Canada was. before, yes. but it was, mm-hmm. so so that was uh, great. Great to have a um, uh, a really good showing for for the uh, for the conference, mm-hmm. and um, to see the resources flying off the tables as well was mm-hmm. a big encouragement, especially as as it was a local event. I That's mean, right. yeah. uh, these these are people who can pick up the resources anytime, but mm-hmm. they were. Uh, crawling all over those tables so that was uh it was fantastic
2: yeah and i mean no offense to uh any of the other ministries around but our 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 audience is the absolute best i mean these people are so enthusiastic they clearly just love the work we're doing and uh there's always a lot of laughs at our conference like despite the material the seriousness being a bit of the material he- heavy <laughs> we're still we're still ready to get in there with with uh the laughter and the fellowship and it's, it's, it was a wonderful weekend. It, wonderful it really was. Yeah.
1: It's, it's so much harder to stop people who are having a good time. That's right.
0: <laughs> and stop enjoying yourself <laughs> at this conference. <laughs>
1: but yeah, Nate, uh, just real quick, I'll interject there. Uh, we have been, yeah, we're overwhelmed by the level of support from mm-hmm. our uh, our audience and supporters. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Our second print run of ruler of kings is uh is now uh mm-hmm. in the inventory in the warehouse here we had we blew through the uh, the first print run uh faster than any uh, any other resource i've seen mm-hmm. uh, of ours go out so far mm-hmm. so you can uh, if you've been waiting to uh, to pick that up uh we have we have a new a new run in stock those are ready to uh ready to get out to you
2: mhm yeah, and it was great to get a lot of positive feedback about this podcast too from a lot of mm. the uh, attendees over the weekend, and even pointing back to last week's episode on critical theory, which of course was part one, and we're we're excited to get into part two today. Um, but yeah, again, some
0: people who had actually you know heard about the conference mm-hmm. just through the podcast. That's right. Yeah, we are increasingly hearing that, which is very encouraging. That people are actually both finding our resources mm-hmm. and our events mm-hmm. primarily through contact with the podcast because right. been, they've been introduced to it or whatever. Mm. And um, so we're grateful to all of our listeners who are not just listening themselves, but actually sharing that's right. the podcast with, you know, friends and family and, mm-hmm. and so forth because people are actually hearing about the ministry now through that. Yeah. And there were yeah.
2: several people that had mentioned they drove, you know, up to 10 hours to be at the conference. and Somebody been, from Quebec. That's yep. right. Yeah. And yep. they've been enjoying the podcast and especially because they're in a, a community, a church community that just uh, doesn't seem to get it. Uh, are there such church <laughs> communities are <you? laughs> So I've read: yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's been great to make those connections through the podcast and meet some of those folks at the conference and yeah, uh, yeah we've put that conference uh, in the books, and now're we're, we're looking ahead to other things and under under two weeks now we're headed out to British Columbia uh, for our H Evan Runner International Academy, and uh, we're excited to get to our Big Lodge in the Rockies. Mm-hmm. I know Joe's uh, extremely excited for whitewater rafting. Absolutely. yeah, Can't <laughs> so wait. Hopefully he makes it through that experience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Joe's motorcycling out there, isn't he? <laughs> that's
0: right. I want to see if I can take Dominion down those level four rapids. That's right. Yeah. Yep. See and what if, happens.
2: Yeah, that's right. And if he does survive... <laughs> uh shortly after the uh the i think my
0: out. wife might be hoping to claim on the insurance to be honest with you yeah, okay. you know, good good life insurance policy there
1: well we're uh <laughs> we're looking forward to just like a whole a whole fresh slate of uh of lecture illustrations
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure they'll be coming sorry That's right. nathan <laughs> yeah. let's uh what do you, you look like you're about to Come get on, out guys. of business get there serious here
1: nathan's <laughs> tapping his agenda <laughs>
2: Well, no, I just wanted to make the point that if, if we can get Joe through that experience, we'll we'll head uh, up to Edmonton just a few days after the uh, the Academy for our next conference, the Mission of God Conference West in Edmonton, mm-hmm. happening June 18th. And you can sign up for that conference now if you go to our website at EzraInstitute.com.
1: Terrific. All right. So, yeah, Nate, uh, you mentioned already, here we are, uh, part two of our two-part discussion on critical theory Joe's recently been uh, writing and lecturing on this subject so we wanted to dig deeper into some of those things that uh, that you've been talking about Joe I wanted to start off last week uh, you mentioned uh, a couple of scholars uh, Max Ho- Max Horkheimer and Theodor Adorno and the Frankfurt School in mm-hmm. the uh, in the 20s in Germany but uh, there are there are more and more more scholars more sort of tributaries out of that movement. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to, I thought it'd be valuable for us to name names because you might be passing these guys in a bookstore or hearing about them from wherever and they've got uh, interesting sounding titles and let's just, uh, I don't know, profile them, find out who they are, where they've come from, what they talked about so that uh, that we can be, mm-hmm. be alert.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good place to uh, to start. To have a bit of a um, a cast of characters after we did that sort of high level I- I- introduction last week, mm. and um, I mean many of these um, these writers, their books. You know, I've stumbled over their books in in secondhand bookstores mm-hmm. and things like that, and uh, because of course the this sort of founding crop of of authors are uh, are dead now, um, and there's a sort of new generation of of uh, these critical theorists who have come through um but i think there's a certain irony uh, in the fact that um we talked last week about the fact that these are the, these these thinkers are all rooted in conflict theory right uh this basically a marxist idea these are marxist intellectuals um it's the, the the fact that so many in the West are ignorant about this, so many Christians, so many in our churches are ignorant about where these ideas, you know, we start to cozy up to these sorts of ideas, start giving critical theory a comfortable seat in the church. Mm-hmm. And yet we're not aware of who these people are, uh, what they really believed. And uh, we mentioned that uh, the Frankfurt School, founded in 1923 um, at Frankfurt University in Germany, was uh, set up as the institute for social social research and uh, many of these luminaries came across the pond uh, to the united states to ply their wares which is how these ideas um, you know steadily become dominant but a few of the sort of uh, key characters so you've got that might be familiar to some but unknown to others the the kind of irony is that the you know we, we these theories talk about the problem of white male European mm. um, uh, intellectual domination, colonizing people's mm. minds. Mm. And yet this is a movement of white, right. male, <laughs> European yeah. intellectuals bit co- bit ironic. <laughs> co- colonizing <laughs> the minds of so many people. And you've got sort of ethnic groups you know, running around um, um, spewing these theories, um, not realizing in many cases that they are just spewing the ideas. The- these ideas didn't come out of Africa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They didn't come out of Asia. It came out of Germany and Hungary, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, well, so what? One of the key key names would be George Lukacs. Uh, he was a Hungarian philosopher. Like many of these Marxists, was the son of a Hungarian wealthy banker. So he didn't he didn't mm-hmm. grow up in poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up with a very privileged existence. He's arguably the founder of the movement. So you've got this wealthy banker um he began his political life at, as actually a kremlin agent of the communist international huh. um so you know these are not sort of ambivalent uh, you know uh, uh, what we might call sort of disinterested intellectuals did, um, did no one tell him to check his privilege <laughs> <laughs> good, good question Ryan. <laughs> very good question um he, his, his, his most noted work was um, history and class consciousness. That kind of gave him a, a name as a, as, a, as a Marxist theorist. And he, he pioneered um, the idea of what's become known as cultural terrorism. And this is the idea of uh, the subversion of uh, Western culture um, ideologically. And uh, he, he went about that by um, launching uh, in, in Hungary a radical sex ed program in the schools, which was trying to overturn, you know, Christian morality, the church, the influence of the church, um, and of course, the influence of parents. Isn't it interesting how that same strategy has been picked up um, and is used now and has been used for some time in the West, but especially in the last 10 years, we think about Canada, Mm -hmm. the USA, the UK, and the the radical sex ed curriculums that have been driven into the schools. This is right out of Lukacs. This is this is this is Frankfurt School all the way. It's Marxism. This is how you subvert and overturn uh, the Western order, Western culture, Christian civilization, and and this is being driven today for all its worth. So this is right out of Lukacs. He actually said this categorically. Now and I'm quoting. Such a worldwide overturning of values—this is the cultural terrorism, right? Such a worldwide overturning of values cannot take place without the annihilation of the old values and the creation of new ones by revolutionaries. End quote. And he was totally honest that that required the unleashing of of diabolic forces. So hmm. they were quite conscious of this.
1: What What's an example of diabolic forces?
0: Well, I would say that he's referring there to the demonic, mm-hmm. right? There was okay. a, there was a, there was a, there was a self-conscious recognition that this was going against everything that Western culture deemed holy and good.
1: Right. So this is an overtly religious movement.
0: Absolutely, it, governed by a religious worldview, yeah. and and with self-conscious recognition that is seeking to overturn what has been understood to be holiness, righteousness. Well,
2: mm-hmm. I can't help but think of, uh, you know pride week coming up in, mm-hmm. in just a few or pride month, sorry, in just a, a few days here. And I'm thinking of our season now. It's like oh, three yeah. months. Oh, boy. Isn't oh, it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, to go there, first eh? it was a day. Oh, I know. A week, sorry guys. Months. Yeah. But I mean, just here in Southern Ontario and, and I know beyond as well, we've just been witnessing school board after school board be forced to submit mm-hmm. to this uh, agenda and and be forced to fly the, the pride flag. And, uh, you know, there was a bit of resistance years ago, but now it's just across every every board. And
0: don't we have two of these flags flags now? So there's the there's the uh, the, the rainbow flag, and then there's the the trans flag. Or has there been some sort of addition to the oh. flag with this? trans symbol that, in it to,
1: that sounds familiar yeah it's up on
0: that anyway you're right there would be the culture is being made to fly the flag right mm-hmm. and you've got churches you know uh here that are draping these flags over their communion tables mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. if there's you know you want an illustration of the demonic of radical apostasy of, of inviting judgment on yourself mm-hmm. that that's it right there Then you've got um, other key characters uh, like um, Wilhelm Reich. Uh, He was the author of a book called The Sexual Revolution, which uh, I've dipped in and out of over uh, some years now. And um, what he was trying to do was bring uh, Freudian psychology and Marxist economic theory together, kind of a sex economic sociology. And, um, uh, you know, we talked last week about the fact that these, these early cultural Marxists were trying to bring Freudian psychoanalysis and Marxist economic theory together. So he really championed this. And for him, mm. basically human beings were just sexual animals. Mm. They've been, you know, the Christian morality has repressed their, uh, our natural inclinations mm. and um, the authoritarian character structure. So you've got this idea of the authoritarian personality and the authoritarian character structure, Um, is basically a kind of familial imperialism. Uh, He called it a familial imperialism in Western society. And uh, the idea is that it's rooted in basically sexual inhibitions. So you embed these sexual inhibitions and fear regarding your sexual impulses. And so the only solution to society's ills to liberation, remember, Mm -hmm. we pointed out last week that for, for a theory to be truly critical, for it to be a critical theory, capital C, capital T, mm-hmm. it has to be about emancipation. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it has to identify what the problem is. It has to identify a solution. Then it has to become normative. So mm. you've, you've got this idea of, of uh, the liberation of the sexual impulses in Wilhelm Reich and his sexual revolution. Uh, then you've got um, Eric Fromm. Uh, social psychologist. He actually came to the United States in the the 1930s. Um, And of course, like many Marxists, he blamed the capitalist social order, interestingly enough, for the emergence of Calvin's doctrine of predestination. Hmm. So he said, you know, the capitalist social order with its inequalities, allegedly built into it, involved um, the emergence of Calvin's Doctrine of Predestination because the basic principle of human inequality, he said, is built into the Doctrine of Predestination. Um, well, of course, um, uh, you would have to define the words inequality and, and you'd have to look closely at predestination. But you know, if you want to go to the Book of Romans, Jacob I have loved, Esau... I have hated Mm -hmm. and God's um, election for different purposes of different vessels. As the apostle Paul says, God has not made um, an egalitarian order for Mm -hmm. creation or for history. Mm -hmm. That's never been the case. Mm -hmm. Um, It is not an equalitarian egalitarian order. Mm. These Marxists recognize that Christianity uh, rooted in God's providence and God's ordering of history and God's electing grace is not radically egalitarian, therefore it must be overthrown. So from understood that, um, and so for him, positive freedom meant the individual self is the center and purpose of life. It's the highest power in history, not God, not his predestination, not his ordering and structure for society, Uh, not God's purpose. The individual self as the purpose and center of life and as the highest power in history. So you can see how he was angry with God over the doctrines of the covenant, the doctrine of election, doctrines of predestination. Um, Usually they misunderstand these doctrines, of course, but angry and furious with God uh, for those things, with Calvin, wanted to overturn them. Um, Then there's um, somebody that may be a bit more familiar to some, a slightly more well-known name, Antonio Gramsci, Mm -hmm. the Italian Marxist leader. Mm He was leader, actually, of the Italian Communist Party. Yep. I mean, just remember, people, These, this is who these people were. Mm-hmm. He was the head of the Italian Communist Party. He believed intellectuals needed to lead the way, basically, in undermining the Western social order. And uh, he actually was the one who very clearly understood that the biggest ob- obstacle to revolution, to Marxist revolution, was the presence of Christianity uh, in the West. Um, and uh, it was Gramsci who, who, who realized, look, there isn't going to be a Bolshevik-style uprising in, in the Christian West. It's not going to happen. We have to have this long march through the institutions. At least many of our listeners will be familiar with that phrase, right the long march through the institutions to create the new Soviet man. Um, that will lead, he thought, to political revolution. But you have to say, uh, he had something there. I mean, he understood the importance of culture. If only Christians would understand the importance of culture and of our cultural institutions, in the way that these men did, uh, for the reshaping and the reforming of cultural life. This is a, this is a, a small group of intellectuals in Europe, and they managed to because they understood the importance of culture and cultural institutions. Mm-hmm. They have managed to railroad their ideas to their multiplication and regurgitation to reshape uh, cultural life. Um, and then uh, Herbert Marcuse, again, probably a name uh, familiar to, to to more people. Um, I read his book Eros and Civilization. Um, he came to America as well um, to ply the wares of the Frankfurt School in the 1930s. He wanted the dissolution of American society, and he thought, well, the way to do it is the colleges the universities, who are going to be the leaders of the future, who are going to be the teachers, the professors, the politicians, uh, the uh, business leaders. Mm -hmm. He thought, it's got to be the university. Let's focus our attention there. And um, his book, Eros and Civilization, became the guiding text for the 1960s sexual revolution in America. You want to understand Berkeley, Mm -hmm. the student revolution, Mm -hmm. the sexual revolution? You can't understand it without Herbert Marcuse, Frankfurt School, cultural Marxism, critical theory. It's the same movement. Um, he uh, took issue with modern industrial society that he saw uh, as basically enslaving mankind in a one-dimensional world, which is another subject he wrote about. And of course, what's his answer? <laughs> Some, <laughs> amazing how these guys come to so often exactly the same answer, liberate the erotic man. You know, uh, I think it was Nietzsche who pointed out that uh, so many of the philosophers, mm-hmm. uh, you can reduce their theories to justifications of their um, their moral behavior, the way they want to behave sexually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, Marcuser thought that war had to be waged against the white Christian male uh, and that uh, women's sexual liberation was the most critical part of that battle. So... Uh, for him the whole abortion thing and um issue uh, the, uh, the the uh, contraception issue um radical feminism this for him was at the 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 vanguard of um overturning a western culture mm-hmm. we talked a bit about hawkheimer last week because he was co-author of that book dialectic of enlightenment with adorno but let's just say something quickly about adorno he was um member of the Frankfurt school as well who also came to America in the 1930s. So, so many of these people came to the United States. He co-authored the uh, the book we discussed at some length last week, Dialectic of Enlightenment with Horkheimer, uh, which was described as the most influential publication on critical theory of the Frankfurt School. It's a pretty elusive and obscure book, but Adorno developed the idea of the authoritarian personality um, and... Uh, he saw the authoritarian personality as the counterpoint to the ideal revolutionary. So you've got the ideal revolutionary, that's the person that's going to need to change the culture. The authoritarian personality is the one who's in resistance to the revolution. Who is the authoritarian personality? Yes, you've guessed it again, the white, Christian, Mm -hmm. conservative, capitalist, middle class uh, male, who is then equated with fascism. So if you want to know why this, this sort of idea of um, fascism has suddenly been thrown around mm-hmm. about conservatives, I mean, mm-hmm. nothing could seem more self-contradictory. But suddenly, if you're in resistance to uh, this agenda, you're a fascist, it's right out of Adorno. Mm. Um, and so don't forget, these are communists, these are Marxists who are um, afraid of the rise of national socialism in Germany. So many of them flee to North America. And instead of identifying National Socialism for the pagan, anti-Christian, totalitarian ideology that it was, they want to disguise their totalitarian ideas themselves by identifying the Western Christian civilization with fascism. So if you want to be liberated, uh, you need the neo-Marxist liberation. You must identify everybody else as a fascist. So if you want to, know, if you if people want to understand why are they getting this identification all of a sudden, it's right out of Adorno. And I think what these, you know, the, so so those are come at some of the, the sort of key founding characters of, of critical theory and this whole movement. And um, it's important that uh, you know as well in terms of what we said last week, and as we discussed some of those characters and just give them a, a bit of airtime there we said last week, we're not just talking about an an analytical tool. Critical theory is not Mm. simply an analytical tool for a few academics. It's a philosophy. It's a worldview. It's to be applied to all of life. Critical theory, remember is only truly authentic if it's entirely comprehensive. Mm. So that's what we're dealing with. Dealing with this worldview, this philosophy. We're dealing with these white European uh, neo-Marxist founders of this movement who plied their wares in the West. And, I think it was um, Roger Scruton who pointed out that this revolution that passed through the institutions in the nineteen sixties and seventies was the most powerful revolution in in living memory, um, uh, and that it wasn't didn't involve swords and and guns. Um, it was an intellectual revolution at the cultural level. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, why we believe the work of the Ezra Institute is so important. Mm-hmm. And the difference, one of the differences one of the many differences between us and the Institute for Social Research is that if God is for us, who can be against us? Mm-hmm. If you can have a small group of inter- intellectuals like that be so central to the undermining of Western culture and civilization, what can millions of Christian- Christians do in the West who actually have the power of the Holy Spirit, love the Lord Jesus Christ, surrender to his word and lordship, and are ready to go into the cultural arena in faith and boldness, with Mm -hmm. the fullness of the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. What kind of a difference in transformation could we make?
1: Mm -hmm. Amen. And the fullness
2: of the truth, sorry, Ryan, just the fullness, where, of course, there are many partial truths um, in in what we're discussing with critical theory, and we'll get to that in a moment. Did you
1: want to jump in, though, Ryan? Oh, I just wanted to uh, interject. uh, Those who are at the conference on the weekend, the theme of the mission of God was uh, utopianism versus the kingdom of God. Mm. But this was something that... uh, all of our speakers mentioned, and Graham Leach uh, used that phrase "little platoons of Christendom" right. mm-hmm. to uh, to talk about how you know, individual Christians, small groups of Christians, empowered by the Holy Spirit, just doing stuff, mm-hmm. taking care of the people around them. This is what shrinks the state. Right. This is yeah. what that's right what brings. A yeah. Mm-hmm brings us smaller
0: mm-hmm. yeah of course uh, the the critical theory agenda being um neo-marxist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um wants the massive growth of the state massive growth of regulate regulation of course these things are all going to be realized initially through power right, right. through an inversion of power mm-hmm. um and uh our goal is true free. This is why this is a parody of freedom. You know, they mm-hmm. talk about emancipation, but what they mean actually is slavery, right? Not only slavery to sin, but slavery to man mm-hmm. and to, to his state and his regulation. What we're talking about is liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Yeah. And even on, on the subject of the state, something I found really interesting as you're rehearsing the thought of all these different thinkers is they seem to all uphold the self as ultimate while at the same time, the message is, join the collective, the dominant pervasive narrative, or, or be canceled and called a fascist. Mm-hmm. So I'm, is this just yeah, an example of, of the dialectic that, that we've discussed before, these two opposing poles that can't be reconciled in
1: apostate mm-hmm. worldviews? Yeah. Difficult yeah. to have a revolution all on your own. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: absolutely. And as I just mentioned uh, uh, before Ryan jumped in, There's there's got to be some truth um, as part of this critical theory, religion, worldview, or else it wouldn't have gained the foothold the traction it has gained in, in our culture. Um, what is that? What, what, what are they really, um, leaning on here in order to capture the hearts and minds of so many people uh, in the mm-hmm. West right now?
0: Yeah, that's a good point because in, any, um, movement that gains real cultural force, um, is uh, has ha- has gained that uh, cultural force because there is an element of truth. They've mm-hmm. stumbled over a truth, not mm-hmm. the truth, mm-hmm. but truths mm-hmm. right. um, that are that seem powerful to them, seem mm-hmm. explanatory, mm-hmm. Um, seem to have explanatory power, right. and then they're pushed to uh, an extent that make them become an egregious error. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, we talked
2: a little bit last week about using that kind of attractive language, mm-hmm. right? Reconciliation,
0: yeah, justice, right? social justice, right. um, oppression. Mm-hmm. You know, those those all sound like things that need to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, basically, you know, they they they're saying Western civilization is an oppressive yoke, and we need a more rational order to transcend it. We need a we need a more egalitarian, democratized society. And, um, but what they put this down to was um, the disenchantment of the world. That basically they said the world has been disenCHANTed by the modern era, um, and as a result, it's become a uh, a place that has lost its color. Uh, that too many people are um, are ostracized um, uh, and oppressed. In other words, in critical theory, there is a recognition of the problem of sin, mm. right? I mean, as Christians, we talk about creation fall. And um, uh, every worldview has to account for why is the world uh, broken? Why why does the world have brokenness in it? Mm. Um, why are there all kinds of social problems? Why is there violence? Why is there domination? Why is there war? Why do uh, the Lenins and the Stalins and the, and the, uh, the Hitler's Come to power, um, you know. Of course, these people would have idealized the communist order um, mm-hmm. and were, were, were would would be in total denial about the realities of the murder of of communism. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, they are observing the fact that in the world which they don't recognize as fallen, which we recognize as fallen, there is brokenness. There are problems. Uh, the, the, the difficulty, as always, is that they don't look to the source. They don't look to the, 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 the source of true revelation to come to a solution to these problems in the Lord Jesus Christ. They want a man-made solution. Mm. Uh, and so what tends to happen then is they, in, because they don't have, they haven't identified the right problem, they mm. identify false problems right. or non-problems mm. as the problem. So you know the the notion that we need a radically egalitarian order, well, that's actually a non problem. That's a false problem.
2: That guy makes
0: more money than me. Right, it's a problem. Yes. Right. So and and so new sins get invented, Mm -hmm. which need to be brought into judgment. We'll 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 perhaps come back to that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that this whole problem of disenchantment of the world, they identified um, certainly in the dialectic of enlightenment, they identified the problem of rationalism. And they want to reject the rationalism of the Enlightenment and its disenchantment of the world, uh, and have a more compassionate, in their view, order—a more compassionate order that, that liberates people. Um, the um, and it's worth actually pointing out that as Christians we share their rejection of Enlightenment rationalism, and Christians who have failed to reject the extremes of enlightenment rationalism have contributed to this problem, Mm -hmm. right? Even in a Christian apologetics where people have retreated into rationalistic, hard rationalistic um, argumentation uh, based on actually a non-Christian worldview, a rationalistic worldview have contributed to the problem. So there's a sense in which they're reacting to this sort of sense of a totalitarian rationalism and a technological reason um, that is reducing life and actually the true christian who's got his bible open can say amen to that can mm. say yes there is a problem with enlightenment rationalism and a, a a a technological reason that wants to reduce reason so let me let me to to help you see this let me let me give a quote from um the dialectic of enlightenment mm. with Hawkheimer and adorno they point out listen to this what human beings seek to learn, I'm quoting, what human beings seek to learn from nature is how to use it to dominate wholly both it and human beings. So this is their critique. Nothing else counts. On their way to modern science, human beings have discarded meaning. The concept is replaced by the formula, the cause by rules and probability. Mm-hmm. For enlightenment, anything that does not conform to the standard of calculability and utility must be viewed with suspicion. It makes dissimilar things comparable by reducing them to abstract quantities. For the enlightenment, anything which cannot be resolved into numbers and ultimately into one is illusion. Unity remains the watchword from Parmenides to Russell. All gods and qualities must be destroyed." Now that's quite an insightful mm-hmm. statement. Mm-hmm. Um, they they recognise something important here that the the rationalistic drive of modern science, which thought we can reduce everything to number, uh, and we can start to rebuild reality in terms of our rational as a machine, you know, in some, in sort of rationalistic terms, created all kinds of problems. The the concept and the richness of the concept is reduced to the formula. Right to rules to just you know laws of probability. Um, what doesn't conform, they say, to calculability must be suspicious. Um, Making I like this statement. It makes dissimilar things comparable by reducing them to abstract quantities. Now we would say exactly the same thing in Reformational philosophy. You've got totally dissimilar things, and you say well, we're going to reduce them to the arith- uh, to, to the mathematical to the to, to number to the numerical aspect or to the spatial. And you destroy them in the process, hmm. right? So that's that's an interesting um, and useful observation, hmm. and it's a legitimate observation. Um, the The sort of rationalistic scientism mentality reduces everything to manageable quantities to try and master them. Now, the issue was that look, that sort of sci- scientific mentality is is useful when you're making a combustion engine, right? It's helpful when you're building a nuclear reactor, right? You're just focused in on the you, you've got a sort of laser focus on the physical, right? The, the numerical, uh, and you're you're seeking to you know manipulate there those you know in the in the case of the um, atomic energy the atom to control it. So uh, and of course we would say as Christians, well, part of man's mandate within creation, the cultural mandate is to rule and subdue. It's to bring out the potentiality of creation, but it's to do so in as an act of worship and service yeah. in terms of the purposes of God and the kingdom of God. Now, applying that to the combustion engine and, and nuclear power is fine, but what, ras- what the rationalistic elements of the Enlightenment did, what scientism does is it says, well, we're going to apply that same... Law structure from say the physical realm or the numerical realm, and we're going to try and apply that to all the other aspects of life as well, right. to the social, mm-hmm. to the economic, to uh, the, the the faith aspect, even to all these different aspects, the richness of human life, and we're going to reduce it. Uh, and we've talked extensively on our program, haven't we, about reductionism mm-hmm. and the way this is done. So they're onto something here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're, they're seeing a truth here mm-hmm. that if you try and understand um, the, the richness of history and culture um, uh, purely in terms of human social relationships, in terms of uh, these these earlier aspects, these the numerical, the spatial, mm-hmm. the physical, then you are going to do, you're going to destroy what is authentically human mm. you cannot understand the complexity of thought of culture of morality of justice of language of aesthetic value of social relationships of economic life of our life of faith in terms of the laws of physics or mathematics mm. so they were onto something there and that's where we would say this is where it's getting its cultural force right it it it's pointing out an inadequacy of the rationalistic enlightenment which was anti-christian but they are then identifying that with christianity um and in re- in reacting to it um this is what doyerer so frequently spoke about you know as history gets its revenge on these isms is that you you push one end rationalism and then there's a swing to irrationalism mm-hmm. right in 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 reaction so what's happening with the critical theory they make an, a legitimate observation hmm. then in this pessimism um the and sort of the sense of meaninglessness that's been engendered by the rationalism with its sort of emptying the external world of of they say the gods but of course it's actually the living god meaning is then sought by this radical inward turn the psychological right, right? psychological desires my my inhibition my ambitions right mm-hmm. i've my sexual drives and desires. This is what the problem is. This, this, um, this mechanical rationalistic world is denying me my psychological freedom, my sociological freedom, my personal meanings. And so, you know, instead of knowledge of nature being power, so that's their criticism of the enlightenment. You know, you, you know, nature only to dominate it. Look what, um, Horkheimer and Adorno say there human beings seek from nature is just how to use it to dominate it wholly both it and human beings nothing else counts well of course that isn't actually true lots of other things counted in the 19th century um they're overstating their case but they're they're overstating a partial truth and so now they're going to look for uh meaning in this psychological sociological personal radical relativization of meaning so instead Mm. of knowledge of nature being power, the recreation of reality is going to be revolutionary power. Mm. So they're going to recreate reality now in terms of these in terms of these psychological um, mm. impulses. Uh, we're going to remake reality. All that counts is man's will, right? Mm. So it's not his encounter with what is, you know, a given reality. It's what he is going to make reality. So, in rejecting one form of reductionism, they simply embrace another, yeah. and and that's the that's the critical failing. The idol of autonomous thought is in their in, in critical theory just rebelling against itself, and it moves from taking refuge in the idea of constancy and law, which is what the rash- rationalism did, to um, perpetual change. So, from you know mastering reality to uh, reimagining it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh well, and it's interesting because
2: right there if you posit there is one objective meaning that becomes oppressive
0: that's right that's right exactly mm-hmm. so they say that's a opp- that's oppression the givenness of reality is an oppression so what they said was look the enlightenment did a uh, grasp something humanistically which is where they're on board with the enlightenment and then in that sense they're just a continuation of it um the, the realization of freedom, of the freedom of man and his idea. They say, well, that's the, that's the valuable realization for them of the Enlightenment. Well, of course, we would say that's idolatry. Mm-hmm. So they're actually on board with the Enlightenment, they're a continuation mm-hmm. of it. But what they reject about it is its complicity with patriarchal power, mm-hmm. right? And therefore, uh, its misuse of the idea of freedom. Um, and so Hawkheimer and Adorno write, and let me quote again, the fault lines of a social context, uh, this is what they blame, the fault lines of a social context which induces blindness. So the social context uh, into which the Enlightenment came made people blind to what, the, to what tr- true freedom really means. That's what they're saying. I continue. The mythical scientific respect of peoples for the given reality which they themselves constantly create, mm-hmm. finally becomes itself a positive fact and degenerates in a compliant trust in the objective tendency of history. So mm-hmm. again, it's kind of this sort of elusive and overly complicated language. But what they're saying is, look, people suddenly got this respect for... Um, The givenness of reality through science but that they say is a myth the given is a myth because they are creating that reality they constantly create it right and what they create becomes then a positive fact so there's a complicity they say with patriarchal power within within with, with modern science with the with the social situation the social situation made people blind Uh, And they say enlightenment, quote, will only fulfill itself. Enlightenment can only fulfill itself if it forswears its last complicity with them. That is with Christian culture and dares to abolish the false absolute, the principle of blind power. So, um, you know, they are the they are the they are the truly enlightened ones. Right. Those who don't realize this, they're blinded by their social reality. It's the critical theorist that really sees. They really see, right? The idea of true knowledge and conformity to it, that's rooted in creation. And creation itself is a form of violent power. As you said, Nathan, that's domination. Mm. There can't be a given creation. That's in that sense, demonic. Um, And so they reduce the current human situation to conflicting power relations. Um, And what's the ultimate, I mean, obviously, the ultimate source of blind patriarchal power is who? God himself, mm-hmm, right. God, the father, God, the father, and then associated with that marriage and family structure in which he is imaged. Mm. So he made them male and female mm-hmm. husband, wife, there's a structure, mm-hmm. there's hierarchy. Uh, there's the family structure that structure is supported by the church. So they say of the, the church and I quote, uh, has in the course of history hardly missed an opportunity to take a leading voice in popular institutions, whether they be slavery, crusades, or simply pogroms. End quote. So the, the, the so God the Father, the family, and the church, which supports and sponsors that arrangement, uh, is basically reduced to slavery, crusades, and pogroms. No, no mention is made of the of the of the only civilization, Christian Western civilization, abolishing the institution of slavery. No, no, that's not sufficient. Christianity is vilified um, as a force which dressed itself up as the ground of the good to basically determine history and triumph. And so uh, Horkheimer says, and I quote, in proclaiming power, even benign power, they, that is specifically Christianity and other uh, philosophies of history became themselves highly organized historical powers, and as such played their bloody role in the real history of the human species as instruments of organization. End quote. <laughs> so, if you're an instrument of organization of institutional power, of course, somehow communism and Marxism that killed you know eighty, hundred million people doesn't count here. Mm. Um, it hasn't been done right yet. It hasn't been f- right, and and of course, some of them are writing. In the lead-up to uh, the worst of mm-hmm. what communism was doing being exposed, mm-hmm. uh, but some of them, frankly, were writing well after what was going on with communism in Marxist territories was known. Um, but uh, no, Christianity, you know, yeah, okay, it's a benign power, mm. so-called, but it's um, it's it's played this role, this bloody role, in the real history of the human species, you know. So liberation has to involve this rejection of creation of patriarchal power, order, structure, to realize um, freedom. Pure reason, basically, is replaced by the practical reason of social justice. So pure reason is oppressive, but practical reason, Hmm. the realization of their ideas, right, of social justice, that's uh, liberation. Um, And um, the, the, the cultural mandate then becomes... Of Christianity becomes part of the blind power. It's interesting, actually, how they they come out against um, Luther and Calvin. Um, no surprise, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What do they attack? They're going to attack the the heart, the root, right. Reformed Reformational Christianity. Mm-hmm. This whole mandate to build families, godly rule, worship, serve, ten creation as the theater of God's kingdom, uh, with Luther and Calvin's injunctions to work. They dismiss those, and I and I'm quoting again as and I quote like mockery, this, this injunction to work, the boot grinding the worm into the dust. So they, 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 their issue there is that creation, fall, and redemption are cultural myths. They're the cultural myths of the ruling class, right? Christianity stands accused, and I quote, of ringing in the modern bourgeois order by extolling work, which in the Old Testament had been designated a curse. End quote. So they basically say, look, Luther and Calvin, uh, th- this recovery of Hebraic Christianity uh, um, and of the cultural myths of creation, fall, and redemption, uh, this extolling of work brings in the bourgeois order. Um, and, you know, they claim, well, the Old Testament had actually said, don't forget, many of these thinkers are Jewish. And they said, well, the, uh, the Old Testament designated work a curse. That is false. Mm-hmm. The Old Testament, nowhere, nowhere does the Bible designate work a curse. Work is given prior to the fall. It's a blessing. Um, And in fact, of course, the Apostle Paul affirms that, you know, if a man isn't willing to work, he shouldn't eat. Mm -hmm. The thief is told to work with his hands that he may have something to share. Mm -hmm. Um, He who does not provide for his own, the Apostle Paul says, has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's the biblical teaching on work works, a blessing, work is a positive good, it's pre-fall, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to be pre, uh, it's going to be part of, I should say, the eschatological order because um, we are going to govern kingdoms. There will be cultural work to do. Um, so they get that completely wrong, but irrespective of their error there, the, the point is the entire order must be abolished in what Herbert Marcuse called a great refusal what's the great refusal we got to reject these these Western concepts you know of, of work of family etc we must demand sexual revolution feminist revolution black revolution etc etc and um, there are multiple sub theories um, Nathan I can see you want to cut in but the the, 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 the um, uh, one um, commentator has said this and very helpfully critical theory incorporated sub theories which were intended to chip away at specific elements of the existing culture, including... So this is now how they go about this subversion, right? This is the great refusal. Matriarchal theory, androgyny theory, personality theory, authority theory, family theory, sexual theory or uh, queer theory, legal theory, literary theory. You put into practice these theories, they overthrow the social order, they bring about the social revolution, um, sexual one being at the root and the heart of it, because only that can truly abolish marriage, the family, the reflection of God, mm-hmm. abolish the so-called patriarchy, the patriarchal order, um, and uh, overthrow uh, the entirety of Western civilization.
2: Right, and I know we're, we're getting long on time here, but just quickly, as, as you're saying all this, in, in their attempt to overthrow structures— there's an obvious attempt to use the state to overthrow the church and the family, but is the goal to overthrow the state eventually as well?
0: Well, in traditional Marxism, the state sort of fades away. Mm. Uh, It it no longer becomes necessary because once the egalitarian order has been realized, well, you Mm. don't need justice system, you don't need uh, policing, Um, everybody's living in this stateless utopia. Yeah, the utopian dream. Yeah, of course— and uh, in any experiment with Marxism, not only is the state not disappeared, it's only ever become a leviathan yeah. mm-hmm. uh, to stamp on people's faces. And of course, we're seeing exactly the same with neo-Marxism, with critical theory. It requires the state to politically impose its will and agenda. Um, it, they are de- they're the ones peddling the myth, the utopian myth of a radicalized, e- egalitarian, communistic order where God's norms and order for a family, marriage, sexuality have somehow been uh, abolished. It's interesting, actually, that, um, that the they see that Christian sexuality is the repression, reduction, and hatred of the body. It's the product of taboo, right? You say, well, these behaviors are not acceptable, they're taboo. They say that the rejection of certain behaviors is a hatred, despising of nature and the flesh. And this is what Horkheimer and Adorno say about that. Um, he says, in this the repressed rebellion of despised nature breaks out. It's full, this is is Christian morality, it's full hideousness is vented on the martyrs of love, the alleged sexual offenders and libertines. For sexuality is the body unreduced. Mm. It is expression, that which the butchers secretly and despairingly crave. So... You know those who now you know they're trying to tie this into a critique of National Socialism in the context of this uh, of these passages in um, uh, uh, the dialectic of Enlightenment. Um, but really, what they're saying is, look, you know, um, the those who are against certain sexual behaviours secretly crave them. That's where that comes from. Mm. And to where, and any form of of uh, censure of certain sexual uh, acts, sexual behaviours, is an expression. This hideous. Um, rebellion against nature it's a despising of nature and it's taken out on the martyrs of love these are the 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 the, the sexual libertines fornication homosexuality all these other things they are they are the they are the martyrs of love and it's the same with them economic theory economic relations the free market that's monopolism it's total domination they called it the racket pattern the racket pattern and uh, the goal is a racketless society, a communist order. Um, so that, you know, what, what Graham was talking about over the weekend, you know, free markets, liberty, God's market mm-hmm. um, is the racket pattern. And so you can see it's, it's the goal is the it is the overturning of everything within God's order. This is a cult. And, and, and I said we'd I'd finish because I know our time is up by by just by just saying very, very clearly, you know, Ryan, you mentioned earlier on that. Um, you know, when you look at uh this view of reality, we're looking at a worldview That's right. and people start to look at everything then through the lens of this worldview. And so very simply we can say, Well, it has a vision of creation, self creation. You reimagine reality out of your will and psychology, your inner motions. Um, your own identity is reimagined. Uh, so creation is self-creation. Sin is to be part of the patriarchy in any way, shape, or form. If you are part of the old order, if you, if you recognize family, church, marriage, normative sexuality, the free market, any of these things, you're part of a, you are part of the problem of sin. That is the essence of sin. And in fact, to, be, uh, to, be, to participate in it, whether you are engaging in any kind of injustice or not, is to be a sinner. And you must be punished for your sins. Mm -hmm. Uh, So judgment, so justice, judgment is social justice. That's making the oppressor the oppressed. So you have a vision of creation. You have a vision of sin. You have a vision of justice and judgment. So the new kingdom of righteousness is social justice. That's where the oppressor is made into the oppressed. It's where God, his order, his word is overturned. And anybody who's participated in it becomes oppressed by society. And then there is salvation, which is of course the final liberation from God's order. When we've overturned every norm of God's order, then we will be free. And so that's its vision of salvation. Um, the fall, that so you've uh, creation, self-creation, sin. The fall is the fall into Christian civilization. Redemption is liberation. And the an eschatology is the utopian order, the second coming, the consummation is when the the egalitarian, radical egalitarian uh, order of sexual liberation and every other form of liberation has emerged um, and these things all disappear. And that is the worldview of critical theory. Wow. And if we dare to give that view of reality a pew in the church, we are signing its death warrant. Mm.
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, Joe, thanks uh, thanks so much for that uh, that tour through uh, critical Hell. theory. <laughs> I'm reminded, uh, we brought up this Mission to God conference several times, but I'm reminded of one point that uh, Andre Schutten made where he illustrated really well that the, the difference on the ideological spectrum between uh, fascism and communism is really just... It's not a spectrum in terms of a straight line. It's more like a belt that turns around and then comes together again. There's authoritarianism one way or another, and you can't escape from that if you're, lo- if you're trying to work within an imminent system where there is no, no transcendent standard.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's, uh, that's all the time we've got for today. Thanks for being with us. I remind you once more that uh, this is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. For from him and through him and to him are all things. May God be glorified and we'll talk to you again next week.